to that time of the week again. That's right. It's flat out RC time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Well, what an episode we've got for you. We have one of the nicest guys going around in the Australian hobby scene, a gentleman by the name of Andy Coleman. Sorry, Andy Coleman. That's just my speech impediment kicking in. Andy Coleman, great guy, uh, comes from our Gippsland way, um, which is good because I spent a bit of time out there. And I'm going to talk a bit about that because I went to a great event on the weekend uh, and I want to tell you all about it. But uh, stay tuned. But before we get to my chat with the one and only Andy Coleman, let's have a look at what's on my mind. I've said it once and I'll say it again. I do love a model flying event. Uh, They're just a great thing to participate in on so many different levels, generally a social level. And what I found is that I got the opportunity to go to the Warbirds over Bairnsdale event, the event that I've been plugging, and had a great time. Um, Let me tell you a bit about it. So it was primarily a warbird event, but they were pretty lenient. If you know people bought other planes and stuff like that, they did allow them to fly. The whole idea was, um, you know, at least in the morning, just warbirds, and then in the afternoon, sort of open it up. Um, they did have sort of a, a, a judging criteria, you know, the pilot's choice for you know, and that was only for the um, the the warbirds. So most of the prizes for the warbirds. I think there was one prize for other aircraft outside of warbirds as well. But there was predominantly, you know, I'd say ninety percent was. Um, was warbirds and all sorts of different varieties, some amazing planes. We had the usual Spitfires and Mustangs and all that kind of stuff. But it was held down at the Bairnsdale Field, which is down in East Gippsland, and they did a phenomenal effort because there's been a lot of rain going through that area and the field looked immaculate. I arrived on the Saturday morning and um, most of the most of the participants were there. Great facilities, really. The undercover pit area, good clubhouse, toilet showers, that kind of thing. And the strip is amazing. When I went there last time, they were using a matting. They had a, a matting runway. They've still got the matting there, but they've extended the strip and cut the strip even longer, so a grass strip. So you don't, they don't really fly off the matting at all anymore. That's sort of been taken out of the equation. It's almost like where the pilot's box is is now. And um, so an awesome runway, big flying space. It's actually a state field. It's owned by the MAAA, and there's like 100 acres there. They lease a lot of it to a farmer, but... Um, so plenty of land in a, in a really nice spot. It's about a three-hour drive out east from um, from Melbourne, so a little bit, you know, not a hard drive, I must say. Depends where you live, I suppose, but uh, it wasn't a hard drive. But um, so, yeah, so arrived, uh, lots of big planes, uh, lots of um, various different biplanes, monoplanes. My mate Dominic was there with his Fokker Wolf and a Fokker D7, DR7 or something like that, which is beautiful. Um and uh, you know Andy Coleman, who we talked to, he was there with his Mustang. Dave Lewis, I think, had a Mustang there as well. Um, lots of other warbirds. I can't remember the names of them all. Beautiful Stearman. Phenomenal Stearman. I think it won, you know, plane of the meat kind of thing, pilot's choice. Um, and that was just a phenomenal thing. Radial engines. Um, Carl Bison was there with a Corsair with a with a Mocky radial in it. And that that everybody loves a Mocky radial, the sound of it, but it was it was quite quiet. It's sort of smooth sounding and um, sounded good doing some low passes. Uh, turbines, uh, Mario Pacioppi was there with a Hawk and, um, you know, there's other other people. Um, Dave Lewis was flying, I think, an F, F-18 or F-16, I think it was, Foamy um, with a turbine in it. 
the free wing, which was a uh, was really good to see as well. Um, but um, it was a, a beautiful Lysander, a, a new Lysander, um, Catalina. Um, Brian Hutchison had a Catalina that was really nice. So plenty of, of, of nice models. Uh, stayed the night in town, came back to the, the field at night, sit around the bonfire and listen to some jokes, uh, which was a, a lot of fun. But the rain set in on the Saturday night. Uh, and I had a look at, before I went to bed, I had a look at the rain radar and you could see this massive band of rain going across the whole state. And I'd sort of predicted that, look, it's going to rain overnight pretty badly. And then the next, it'll be done and dusted by the time we wake up and head to the field. And it, it was, the sun was out by the time we woke up. Anyway, um, the, so we get, we headed out to the field, um, another friend and I, and there were just rivers running down the pit area, and part of this part of the strip was was flooded. One the low lying area was flooded. There was water running off a adjacent paddock, and that was coming across the strip. So there was some flooding on the strip, but it was like a river through the car park. And actually, I parked my car just near the pit area, and there was a bit of water running underneath the car. But it actually got deeper, and then it subsided a little bit uh, after a lot of the runoff had gone through. But it just meant that the Sunday was a non-event. Everyone just packed up and went home because the runway was flooded. Uh, and, of course, we can't handle that. A lot of us knew that that might be the case, but we thought that that rain might come later in the day. That was the forecast, but it came early. But um, a lot of good spirits. A lot of people camped at the field, and it was a really, really enjoyable event. And big thank you to everyone, all the organisers. The, the field was immaculate. Um, the, the the people cooking for us, you know, they had bacon and egg rolls for for breakfast for the pilots, and hamburgers were awesome, and cakes, and and you name it, and and of course, a big shout out to a young girl called Maddie that sold two hundred raffle tickets. She was a a saleswoman extraordinaire. She was amazing going around selling those tickets, and and it all goes to a good cause because. These clubs, they want to keep on improving their environments and the only way they can do it with money and they run these events to help to help raise some extra funds to be able to put back into the field. It's not as if they're profiteering. It's, it's all about the facility. So well done. A big thank you to the Bairnsdale and District Aero Models Club. Now jump onto YouTube. My video is live. The advantage of me coming home early on the Sunday was that I could edit the video and get got it up that night. So get onto the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and take a look at the video there and you'll see some of the sites that... Uh, Presented were presented at the Bensal District Air Models Club. Stay tuned. They've got a whole bunch of events coming up. Mid May muster. They've got another event. I think that's happening around the long weekend in March down here in Victoria. Um, and their their aim is to try to have an event every month, um, which is that's pretty bold bold aim. But anyway, uh, well done to the team and uh, thanks for having us all. Time for my favourite part of the podcast. You don't have to listen to me as much. It's, it, it's, I've mentioned his name, Andy Coleman. Uh, he's a great guy. Everybody that has met Andy says, geez, he's a fun guy. And he's one of those guys that I've known him for a while but don't know his backstory and it was really interesting to hear it. And uh, and um, we did joke a bit about the Bensdale Warbird event. We, we actually recorded this before the event. Um, so you'll hear us having a bit of a joke. Um, but uh, I've talked all about that soon, all about the event. But uh Here's my chat with the one and only Andy Coleman, the man that likes a bit of everything, but he's got a strong passion for warbirds. Well, it's a pleasure to have a friend of mine on the podcast this week, a gentleman that I've known for a number of years. He comes out from Gippsland way, and we're going to talk a bit about flying in Gippsland too. 
Andy Coleman, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Well, Andy, we were just talking about the Flat Out RC podcast and you were telling me that you don't get to listen to all of them and I think that's a bad thing. Yes, um, I just find it hard to tune into them and find time to do it, but you gave me a pathway to into listening to the podcasts every week inside the tractor i'm often in a agricultural tractor nearly all day every day yeah so that's a good idea you know what hmm. you do you put some headphones in and if you get some of like noise cancelling it buffets out the noise of the tractor you get to listen and you and you know i'll tell you what your world will be transformed once you get involved in listening to different podcasts whilst you're working that's what you need to do andy Con. i'll have to um get the girls the daughters onto that one andrew <laughs> not that technically minded <laughs> But we will get there. I'll have to get it going. I'm slowly getting better. I'm getting more listeners. Your whole family is going to be listening to the podcast soon. They may, yeah. I might leave, release a few secrets during, during the interview, so I'm hoping perhaps not. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get into it. Let's. Yeah. I always start with a question, and it's, a, it's the best question to start with, which is where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Because I wouldn't have a clue where it started. I don't know you now, but... Where did it all begin? Well, listening to the history of different ones, I feel I'm a newcomer to the sport, uh, hobby sport, I'd prefer to call it sport. <laughs> yeah. But it does go back to the 1960s. Um, so I had a busy – when I was growing up as a young child in the 1960s, it was a busy childhood, um, but we uh, – we're always out playing on the road sort of thing, uh, farm, but the farmhouse was I lived in was right on the edge of the road and um, it wasn't a busy road, but there's plenty of uh, speeding FC Holdens roaring past in those days, just the same. So we used to often play on the road and uh, we got to know all the neighbours and one of our, and they used to come and go because a lot of them were share farmers, it was a dairy farming district and... Anyway, this big boy, I was about six or seven at the time, and my older brother, John, was about 12. He was a cripple, a paraplegic, and he used to go walk everywhere on crutches. And uh, we used to walk up and down the roads and visit people's houses, and we used to go up to the uh, neighbours of the time to watch the wrestling because they could get the Melbourne TV stations and we couldn't, and they used to get we used to watch the wrestling of a Saturday. Yeah. We were very friendly. We actually used to pester our neighbours as a kid, and he <laughs> had a control line with a Cox motor in it, and I fell in love with it straight away. I was about six or seven. I fell in love with it, and I learned and I knew about. I had a vague idea on control line. My my family wasn't interested. My father, of course, he was a farmer and horse mad. Anyway, um, so I ended up – he gave it to me. I, I used to get it and flick the propeller and and I thought I'd love to start this one day. And he, he said he was going to start it for me anyway. It didn't eventuate, but I ended up – he gave it to me and I took it home and <clears throat> I used to play with it and run with it, holding it in the air, and I thought if I, if I could only – find a way of starting it. I knew it, I knew it needed electric wires or something or a battery or something, and uh, that's about all I knew, and, and, and fuel. Uh, I, I understood a little bit in that way, but I used to play with it outside a bit, and because I was so young, a big pile of gravel one day appeared 
on the side of the road in front of the house. And in those days when a gravel, a load of gravel appeared, it used to sit there. It would sit there for months. But I thought, oh, wow, right home from school and thought, this is a great new um, play spot. Anyway, I took the aeroplane out there and I must have left it out there and I'm not sure, but um, it, it disappeared. And anyway, I went into mum and I said, where did the model plane go? And she said, oh, the boy across the road, I won't mention his name, the boy across the road came and took it. They're leaving. They're moving on. And I thought I was, it was a bit disappointed that I'd left it out, but um, I think he had intended to pick it up all, all the way and I, I, it took me a long time to get over it, really. And I, I was never going to ask my father for a model plane because I thought I would never have got an answer. I know I, know I probably wouldn't have got an answer from him. It just wasn't in his mind, anything like that. So anyway, I did play around with um, a bit of free flight myself and got a little bit of success when I could get hold of a bit of balsa. So so wait a second. So when how did you get into free flight? I just fit. I, I've always. I think it was the error modelling was always there, but it was never opened up. I, I would have. I would have <clears throat> started. I would say this is a. You know, this is nine. When I was a little kid. Um, I would have started with getting a little uh, flat bolster model with the lacquer band from a show or something like that and then putting it together and making it work. And I got that uh, an idea of how to design an aeroplane. And I, I didn't have much success with it, Andrew. I'd only fly 10 foot or something. but And then I, I fiddled around putting, just bending the wings I didn't know anything about control surfaces or, uh, you know, how to steer or that. It was just I just knew that if I bent the wings, the main wings, I could get it to float along further. And that that's the only real recollection of it because uh, that was about the end of my uh, childhood era modelling, although because we went into horses. We were, were competitive in horses, pony club 1970s, 80s and show jumping 90s. And, you know, third, I went into a hiatus, I guess, for 30 years also. And um, so, but in, in, in the, there was something there needing it because every time we'd go past the flying field or something, I just wanted to call in. So then come the trigger. That was the seed to, to the introduction of the hobby. The trigger was in the early 2000s. About 2003-04 um, was a combination of two things. The Sonic Boom, the Sail Club put on a big Jets meet and it was called the Sonic Boom and they had it at the West Sail Airport and it was an absolute roaring success. The, the treasurer of the club at the time was a fellow, you might know him, Andrew McCady. He lives in Queensland now. He was still in the club as I was beginning, and he was had a very good business head, Andrew. He was at bank in the bank. Uh, I think he might have been a bank manager, and I, he left the bank, to my knowledge, I think, while I met him. And uh, he he uh, organised this event, and because Bob Bennett's from the Sale Club, we all know Bob. Uh, he he used to 
in, in the early days of turbine, he was making engines himself. Uh, he's an electrical engineer and he just was really good at uh, making patients to make the engines. And he had uh, a Mackie, uh, oh, the Mackie trainer jets that, uh, that Raf had for uh, here at East Sale Base. And he built one and it, it was a, uh, a feature at that event. And there was a couple of thousand people, uh, you know, the public turned up to it. And it was a huge success, and that was a major trigger into for me into the sport. But guess what? I didn't attend the event. <laughs> so okay, that, this is this is interesting. Okay, you didn't go to the event, but it was a trigger. Okay, keep on going because this is a good story. I didn't attend the event. I wanted to, and I was all keyed up, and I heard about model jets, and I thought, is there such a thing? And I had to work. And the uh, I was uh, so upset that it was just that oh, I'm going to take up this sport. That's it. And then Angie came along at the same time, my wife now, and her father had died only six months before I met her, and he was an era modeler for 40 years. His name was John Feltham. He was from Swamps Club. Lang Lang, he lived down on uh, the swamps, uh, the Kui Rut Swamp at Bunyip. And, uh, and, but, but, uh, my mother in law, uh, sold all the models. They were all scratch built stuff. The radios apparently were old. Um, and he did try helicopters, John. And some people listening to this podcast will remember John Feltham from West Gippsland. Uh, and then, I decided to start going over to the Sale Club and, um, oh, I just loved watching them fly. And it took me a while to get going and then I ended up uh, buying my first aeroplane, which was a Phoenix Classic Trainer with an LA form. Yep. From uh, Cole Taylor. From where, sorry? Cole Taylor Models in Wagga Wagga. Yeah, Yeah, so... uh, I, I rang up in those days. It was good. It was a good way of buying things. You could ring up and get somebody on the phone. And this hobby shops still do it. I know, but uh, you know, we'd have to buy most of it online. But um, uh, so I bought the the forty size classic trainer with the the OS forty LA, and the model was fantastic, but the engine was crap. <laughs> really? It was a terrible one. Yeah, it was. A, they reckon the OS engines are going. I do. I, I like the OS engine, but that one. It uh, as as I learned to fly. Uh, part of my learning was learning to do a lot of dead stick landings. We could never <laughs> seem to get get the model flying that well. It took me about twelve months to go solo. I, I was a slow learner, and I was determined to stick at it. And I I didn't train probably every week because I came into the sport at a very busy time. I was getting married and children coming along and and uh, married late in life. And uh, so that um, I, I uh, ended up going for, on that for about a year. I ended up, when I first went to the field, I thought, I asked them how much it would cost to get going and I was, Enthused by all the different models and the scale models, just 
I love them. I just there was a few scale models. There was a Mustang and a couple of models around there of a Sunday, and I, I just thought that oh, this is what I want a Spitfire or a Mustang. I'll, 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 this is my whole aim in this sport. And anyway, I had a uh, an old JR radio. I think it was given to me by someone. That it was the model before. It was 36 megahertz, or had to go 36 megahertz, but um, it was the model before the uh, – yeah, two models before the – I can't remember it before the – the uh, what I ended up doing is getting the twenty buying the JR twenty six ten radio six channel, mm-hmm. and I just loved it. I picked up the flying very quickly after I bought that radio. But I bought that with the model plane. Uh, it was an O'Reilly offer through um, Hanger Nine or Horizon or Hanger Nine. I called them at the time. Um, it came with a little Mustang. A little forty size Mustang, oh. and uh, do you remember them? The PTS no. progressional trading system. Yeah, uh, heard of the name, but yeah, yeah, they came out. It was about two thousand and five. They brought them out, the first lot, and a oh, pretty little aeroplane. They were all boat built. You only had to screw the tail feathers on. The servos were in it. All everything was ready to go, and um, it had a little Evolution forty or forty. 40-size motor, which uh, I think the US mess radials and that, they were underwritten by a Chinese engine manufacturer, underwritten by Horizon Hobby, I suppose. Um, and right. uh, they made a few radials and things, didn't they? Is UMS that bought uh, them out or something? I don't know, maybe because yeah, they yeah. Were, that was a, it was a Horizon Hobby brand evolution. So, but yeah, it was yeah. made in China somewhere. Well, it was a really reliable little engine, but it took me a while to get flying it and uh, realised that someone told me that the propeller didn't have enough pitch on it because it was very mushy. And then when I got that radio, I was able to put a buddy cord on it and it came with a, 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 a flight simulator disc. But we didn't get a computer till 2014. We didn't have a computer when we were on the farm. So I couldn't do any of that. <laughs> so, well, uh, we're talking anyway. about real country folk here now, aren't we, Andy? <laughs> Traditional country, yeah, definitely, Andrew. Yeah, so um, I uh, it took me a long time to get going. And, but when I got that radio, the, the one of the instructors, there's a couple there at sale, uh, Barry and Greg were the main ones, and uh, Barry Coglin, Greg Foster, and we, we got the buddy cord going onto their radio or someone else's radio because I don't know whether yeah, – the JRs were pretty popular at the time. This is before the the Spectrum come in, you know, the 2.4. Yeah, just before. Yeah, it was just before. Anyway, I got going and I got flying that little Mustang and I once I got going on it, it had fixed landing gear. Once I got going on it, though, I had hundreds of flights – Contrary to some of the members saying that won't last any time, it'll tip stall on the first landing. That it was a, it was wasn't like a scale Mustang. It just come in like a truck low wing trainer. Um, but once I got a better prop on it, and I was determined to keep the three blade prop, so I ended up getting a um, uh, oh you know those popular three blade ones, the plastic uh, ones. What are they? No, the more durable one than that. Um, 
master S group, yeah, oh, and yeah. that made a huge difference, yeah. It, it flew for years. I flew it for years. So then, um, uh, so am I babbling on too much, Andrew? No, no. I'm. I'm. It's, it's as I say. I know a lot of people in aero modelling, and I don't know their, but I don't know their backstory. So I'm just sitting here listening, like everybody else is going, okay, this is good, and, you, and you're explaining things well. So, okay, you get this little Mustang. And then, yeah. of course, at this stage, you're you're on the buddy box, or you're flying solo. Um, no, still on the buddy box at the start because I couldn't get going properly on the old radio. Yes. Okay. So then, so okay, let's fast forward. Then you 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 flew that plane for what sounds like years. I I only stopped flying it, and I kept it on that radio until about 2015 or 16. Oh, gee. So you had a really good life. I sold it it to a guy. I just kept flying it, and I thought I'd give it to someone else. But I'll tell you something. It didn't fly as well because I ended up putting retracts in it, and I had even help with that. I put those E-flight electric retracts in it. And and it was heavy. It just didn't fly as nice. It flew okay, but it didn't fly as nice. It wasn't the same. Okay, no. so then, uh, so you, you do like your warbirds. I do know that. So yeah. okay, you're flying out at sail there, and you're progressing. Did you did you buy any other planes, or did you just stick to that plane? Oh uh, well, before I could fly, I bought my the, the the Spitfire that I'm still flying to this day. In 2005, I bought a. a uh, 120 size, although it was supposed to be a 90 size, Black Horse. There's 71 or two inches, six foot wingspan, Black Horse Spitfire. And um, I didn't get flying that till about 2008. And I'm still flying. That's still my main flying model today. I've been flying it all those years. I've, you know, I had some pretty hard landings and busted the engine out of it once years ago when I first got it going. And it's still flying to this day. It'll be flying this coming. It'll be flying on Wednesday of this week. Actually, I've got it ready to to get a bit of practice. It's a practice plane, but it's got retracts. But it's only um, it's got a one twenty uh, OS one twenty surpass in it, and I've got the onboard glow makes it reliable, and uh, it. It's a light aeroplane. It's under five kilos. It's about 4.8 kilos. It's so light that it just doesn't have any any issues. you just got to bring a bit of power on when you land, that's all. It's an important factor really, you know, talking about weight of these aircraft, that especially scale models where as soon as you add weight into a model, it changes the flight characteristics. And, yes, you don't want to get too, too light because then you just get blown around. But um, yeah. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about that other the other Mustang when you put the retracts on and how it became heavier and it changed the flight characteristics. It's a bit like when people get an electric model and go and whack a massive battery in it and thinking that it's going to be better, you know, or get a longer flight time. But yeah, it's heavier. It changes the wing loading, and so now your plane flies differently. So it's a different kettle of fish. So yeah, it's a bit yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't don't understand. I think oh, the other thing is a lot of people don't understand that. Say especially with electric models. But it's applicable to petrol powered as well. You go and add more weight to the model, right? Thinking like, if especially if you go from say uh, a a three S lipo pack to a four S pack or something like that. Now you've got a bigger pack and you're carrying more weight. Yes, you're going to get more grunt, but now 
that motor has to work harder to keep the plane flying because you added weight. And so sometimes you're better off having the smaller pack than the bigger pack to keep the weight down and keep the flying characteristics, especially aerobatic planes. Um, it's it's an interesting uh, paradigm that when it comes to weight. Anyway, it's very very uh, critical part of it all, Andrew, is the weight. Um, it's it can change the C of G. Um, so with with the Spitfire, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. I ended up changing it. It's supposed to be the copy of a Mark 14, but, you know, it's a, one of those Vietnamese companies and they don't quite have its scale. But for the time, it was quite good. But what they did wrong with it was it's got folding in undercarriage. It was just push rod ones, you know, like um, the 180-degree servo. And, um, and I put up with those for a while, but it was um, they were wire legs, but um, not as strong as piano wire either. But they, the ones that came with it, but they, they they didn't have enough rake on it, and it was nosing over all the time, and it took me a lot oh, of work. Man. And I was still new to the sport, and I was working seven days a week on a dairy farm at the time, and I'd go down in there every night time, and I. I was very precarious about altering. I didn't want to cut hell out of the bottom of the wing because I thought, oh, I might upset. I don't think I've got the skills to make this model scale, and it's not worth it. I'll get it. I'll make. It, I'll build a more scale model down the track. But I did end up changing the blocks, the mounting blocks for the retracks, and and got more rake on it. And also, I didn't have the balance quite right either for quite a few years but it was a bit nose heavy so i did another check on that um, i'm a little bit more um oh, i don't know harder on myself over the balance point of a warbird an arf warbird because it generally seems to be about on the on the right spot but the esm one's no, I I don't think the ESM are what where they recommend it. I forget whether you've got to. I think you've got to go forward with your CAG on those. But um, other listeners will uh, be able to um, confirm that, I guess. So uh, the I ended up painting up in the grey nurse colours. So um, I always had a an attraction to the grey nurse squadron with the shark's teeth and the grey nurse being this big docile shark and the they they the squadron started with the Mark V Spitfires but they got Mark Eights at the end and they've got the large rudder and the, the shark fin on the top of the rudder and I thought, oh I want a plane that looks like that and that's that's how I've sort of made this model. And um it's a bit of a rough job but it looks it looks good in the air. It looks okay in the air. <laughs> um, That's important. And I'm now building a big Phoenix when I get around to finishing it because I'm changing it all. The Phoenix 95-inch one at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Spitfire? Yeah. I bought it about five years ago. Yeah. You're like me. We're slow workers when it comes to model planes, aren't we? Yeah. I can't just put them together the way they are. I've got to make changes to them. Yeah. So that that, that Spitfire isn't. Is is a bit is a bit so it looks it looks like all the marks. It's got a bit of mark one right through to mark twenty four. So the actual cowl on them and the spinner you can't use it because it's it's about 
it's the last of the C5s and, you know, the Mark 23 Spitfires, which have this massive big uh, – uh, that, that narrowed up all the big gripping engines by that stage and they had contra-rotating props and – they they narrowed all the uh, sump and all the oil system and that and they made it, the front of the aeroplane longer and more streamlined. It sounds like you've done a lot of research into these planes. Um, the the Mustang and and Spitfire I've got books on. I I love them. Yeah, I love all war stuff. I love all military aircraft, but that's about my limit because of my time restraints. I can't. Uh, I just can't um, have all the models I want. I can't keep buying models because I'd never get them in the air. And I don't yeah. Look, ever since I've known you, you've always been a very busy man. Yeah, unfortunately. You had a break from the farming, though, for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I left. Uh, I, we dissolved the partnership when my brother was an old mum and dad's old farm. And um, we dissolved the partnership. 2014, I had to to get my equity out to buy a nice property and build a new house for Angie. We're very happy out here. It was 15 minutes from the farm, and I went into patient transport. I did a 12-month course at Swinburne. It was only 14 days face-to-face, but um, yeah. all online, and struggled through it. And um, and I, I got a job briefly with the Flying Doctors, and um, uh, they had a something to come up on the uh, health, what do you call that health check, um, the declaration of your health. And I declared I had a had a heart palpitation and they said, you can't drive, oh, it was a long story, you can't drive the ambulance if you ended up having to get my heart fixed. And, and I had forgotten about me and I ended up, I never really left the farm and I was out working for contractors on earth moving but I couldn't cope with that. I've done it often on all my life because um, I, I just can't handle 12 hours a day in a scraper or tractor and land plane and you're bouncing around on over the bumps and um, and, the, and the contract, the, the boss comes in and says, well, you're not, you're being too rough. You need to smooth off more. And then he comes in the next day and he's saying, you're wasting time. You need to dump it rough. It all yeah. got to me a bit. <laughs> um, and working in the mud, and uh, but I I did that and a bit of agricultural contracting, but still still had a, I still did volunteer transport to the Sale Hospital for five years, one day a week, and I um I wore a few different hats in the work work part time on the farm, but now I'm just working on the farm every yeah, day again, doing all the pasture and tractor work and uh, drains and weeds, weed control and stuff. And you haven't been tempted to cut your own strip at the farm and go for a fly at lunchtime? Yes, uh, Dominic might have worded you up. I've got the perfect flying field here, Andrew. It's just have you? But I only hand launch foamies because it's a big job to maintain a runway and I, I pine for the club scene. I love the club scene. <laughs> that, see, that's really interesting. A lot of us always think that the dream is to have your own strip and that kind of thing. But everybody that I know that has their own strip on their farm still likes going to the club because they say it just gets boring to fly by yourself. Yeah. I don't want to fly by myself. Occasionally I go to the field for a practice fly and I don't enjoy it. I want to have people around me. 
Well, see, sometimes I don't mind sometimes having a fly by myself when I go up to my holiday house and go up to this little ridge and have a bit of a fly, but it's a very short session. It's not a day long like anyway, you go to the flying club and, you know, have multiple hours there. It's, you know, yeah. I just say to the family, I'm just going to duck up to the ridge to have a fly and I'll I'll be there for an hour, hour and, hour and 20 maybe, and I'll just do back-to-back flights. And it's a different kind of thing, but as I said, it's like an hour of flying and it's, it's not like when you go to a flying club and you have a chit chat and you might do a few flights and you have another chit chat and then you do another flight kind of thing. But um, yeah, it is quite rewarding going to the club. But you know what you yeah. could do, Andy. You, you look if you build a nice trip and you invite us all to come up, we'll come and fly with you on your trip. Oh, when when we get back into a drought, it gets pretty dry out here, Andrew, and I'll be able to knock up a pretty good strip over about a month. Because you've got to mow it a few times and get all the yeah. bumps down, bumpy grass and, and roll it, and we will do that. I intend having a, a gathering here. When you retire? Maybe even a you re- gathering. We've even got a swimming pool. Oh, so we can have keep in a swimming pool after it. A pool party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Okay. Yeah. So Okay, so but don't you have another Mustang as well, a big one? Yeah, well, uh, 2007, I bought my first Petty Second. I call the Petty Second my signature model. Um, so that that was a famous World War II aeroplane. It's still around, I think, and it had about 21 kills. I forget the lieutenant or who it was that was the main uh, pilot of the aeroplane. Um, and... The uh, world models brought out a 60 size one. It was it was a little bit bigger, probably a 90 size, I think. It was about a a 63 inch wingspan, yeah. uh, or 61 inch or something. It was a bit bigger than the the 40 50 size 58 inch. It was a bit bigger, and um, so what happened was um, it was 2007. We had a fly in at sale, and there was a hobby shop started up in Benstale. Um, uh, Rob and Jenny Jager, they had a good good following and they were really enthusiastic and they sell quite a few models and they had this blue-nosed Mustang in the box at the at our, uh, I know it was 2007 because um, when the new Rudd government got in, they gave us all a $700 handout and that's, that's where right. my $700 went. It went yeah. into a petty second Mustang. <laughs> and um, I, I bought a... Uh, a 75, they just come out, I think, the 75 AX for it and OSAX, and um, and I didn't get many flights out of it. And whilst building it, I thought, oh, it's a bit small. I want a bigger one. I should have got a bigger one than this, but it was a pretty little plane. Anyway, I only got a very, probably only a dozen flights out of it, and I was a bit nervous. I was still not that good at flying, and... Um, but I, I was doing a fair bit of flying at that time. And um, anyway, uh, it was a bit running a bit lean and it was inverted, of course. And I took off one day, got four foot off the ground and a dead stick, and it just went bang. I could, had no speed to get the elevators to respond. And it just smacked on the ground, not that hard, and it just broke. It just broke in a million pieces and I <laughs> All the front mm-hmm. broke off and all the fuse like, yeah. and well, that's the end of that. So um, then I had a rest. I just had, kept flying the other little hanging iron one from the PDS package, and 
just kept flying it and flying it. It was just a reliable, you know, confident flight. I was confident at flying it and had lots of fun with that. And then I went and bought a – There was we went down on a hobby shopping trip at that time and um, – we had a lot of social activity at the time. Shane Bartlett was a very enthusiastic president. His name comes up quite a bit on your podcasts. And we used to have, for two or three years there for a while, we had, um, that's when I bought the, the, the Spitfire, actually, in 05. Um, we had, once a year, go, went down and did all the hobby shops in Melbourne. And we ended up, we'd had a few billies by the time we got back to the hobby man in Dandenong. <laughs> and we bought Seven Kiko Summerzini yaks, 85-inch yak. We bought seven of them. Seven of them. <laughs> we had a few drinks before we got. And when we got to the hobby man, Davin was there. For, everyone remembers Davin, and he was very enthusiastic. And he had beer. He had um, uh, that uh, bourbon, uh, you know, the uh, bourbon in the white can. The, oh, Canadian um, glove or something? No, no, the Jim real Bean. Jim, uh, was it Jim? Yeah, Jim Bean. Jim Bean, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we got, and we bought the package, $1,000 was the the Yak and the DL50 engine. So that was my first go into petrol. So they got you drunk so you could buy planes and seven of them were bought. Yeah. That's but we perfect. were already drunk when we got to that hobby shop. This is six or seven <laughs> o'clock at night. <laughs> we'd been we'd been to Tate or somewhere first at eight o'clock uh, in that morning. It was a big day. <laughs> and we bought up hardware and bits and pieces and someone would buy up a model. But when we got back to the hobby man, we, we spent up real big man. Oh, <laughs> so it was a great day out. And um anyway, we're all on the phones to our wives saying, Yeah, can I buy a big plane? You know, it's only a thousand dollars. Which even back then, you know, that was a thousand dollars is probably a lot less now the way things are. But a thousand dollars back then was a hell of a lot of money, really, to spend on on yourself, I guess. Um, so um, that was my first, and we we put put them together over over three or four weekends. We all had our job to do, and I actually got really good on that. I, I I was actually doing spins above my head at the pilot spots, which you shouldn't, but um, I had a lot of fun with that model and um, they had fairly low compression. They weren't a lot of power, those first DL50s, and a couple of them put rings in. Anyway, they survived really well. We flew the pants off them. There's still two going. I think Bob Bennett's has still got his, and I know Greg Foster has still got his. Oh, there might be three. I think Rob Eppleston might still have his. Yep, Rob's still got his. The reason we got them cheaper was because there was a new model coming out that was 86-inch. I don't know what the difference mm. was, but Somazzini was a very good designer, brilliant, uh, as you know, model yeah. designer. Anyway, the end of that came when um, it kept dead sticking after half a tank of fuel and, I didn't realise, because, and also I didn't do the fuel tanks, but the clunk was folded off uh, back, um, and I ended up as close to the ground and uh, pulling up or something. It conked out and it pancaked, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to fix this, and uh, busted the wheels and the engine box out. Oh, the engine box always breaks off the weight of the engine, of course, and anyway, um, 
I sold it to another club member and he got it he got it going again and he said, Yeah, the, the fuel club was folded back was your problem. Yeah, so th- that was that. And then uh, 2009 or 2007, I started going to the Jets meets, VJAA Jets meets, just going along to two or three a year because Shane and just Just to look, not to fly. Just to look, yeah. yeah. Bob, yep. Bob uh, there was a big group of Jets flyers started up in Sale. There was, there was Shane Bartlett, Bob Bennett, Robbie Eppleston, Frankie Casella, Frankie and Shane and Bob were the first in it. Well, Bob had, goes way back with the jet, the turbine engines, and um, uh, and then who else? Uh, Greg Fry, who has the big turbo, the Lloyd's turbo prop helicopter. You might be familiar with. Remember, it was at the built at the NAP events. He still got that, and uh, and and we used to go around. And then I used to go along with them. And then two thousand nine. Greg Fry sold me his F-15. It was a, the first of the Fly Eagle kits, one of the first oh, yeah. kits that came to Australia, the, the 9.5 scale, and um, had a, uh, what were they, AJ, one of the first, a PST, a PST engine with the analogue gas star. Yeah, oh. yeah. The LP gas star. What was it? Uh, what, what gas yeah, is it? Gas yeah, and and anyway, look, I it took me a while to get the confidence to go, but I was I was already flying um, at the, what we called the club trainer. That was a copulation of Bob and Shane. It was a foremost, which was a a twin boom similar to the um, the Falcon yeah. One Twenty, but a, a better yeah. model. Oh yeah, it had a fiberglass fuselage, and Bob strengthened up the wings. Stripped the covering off the wing, strengthened up, put a really strong wing tube in it, and they put a um, little uh, King Tech 80 in it. And I was about, and it was for a club trainer. I was the only one that flew it. I did about 60 or 70 flights on it. I loved it. I got really, I was confident with it from day one. I don't know why. I didn't know that you flew jets back then. I thought jets was yeah, a relatively yeah, new thing for you. 2008. 2008, 2009, really? definitely 2009 I was flying jets, definitely, yeah. And then sure. I joined the VKAA, yeah. Yeah, so I just started I, I always say all roads lead to jets and, uh, and <laughs> you know, they have for you well and truly because you, now you've got a jet now, haven't you? What's what's the jet? Yeah, I got out of the jets in 2014 when I left the farm. And I sold up a lot of stuff, including my jets, to put in a swimming pool for the kids. So um, when we built the house, it was about a year out. We built the house in 2013. We shifted out here at the end of that year. And then 2014, so I had the um, uh, the, the F-15 kept dead sticking at the end and then it got a bit low on a dead stick one day and it hit a tree and broke a wing off. And I ended up, it was repairable, but I ended up um, buying the uh, the uh, Avanti, the Seba Avanti oh, yeah, 2.2 yeah, nice meter, and yeah, put it, yeah. a second hand Jet Cat 120 I bought off Shane in it. And um, and it was a bit, a bit sluggish. And I was a bit, I didn't really enjoy, I only flew it for about one, one year. Um, 
I I don't think I've got the the skills and the time. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm an average flyer. I need to get time on the sticks to get my confidence, and I can fly quite well when I get my confidence. Um, and I'm more of a scale flyer, and I have this thing in my head that the Avanti jet should have thrust vectoring and all this trick flying, like um, Sebart himself when he flies his stuff. But I didn't have to have that. And when I ordered the kit, uh, it came through model flight, and uh, when I ordered it, I got the larger thrust pipe, and I think I needed the smaller one because it had a very – that model had a lot of delay on the on the, the, um, the thrust. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a bit sluggish. Um, so anyway, Paddy Brown's got that now um, from Moe, and um, and the F15 ended up going to Mildura, and I don't know where it is now. And I had a spare engine that I also sold. So then I got the bug back only about two years later. I just liked the smell of the Kero, and they had a meet at Bensdale, and I ended up buying a um, a Falcon 120 off a off Robert Eppleston. He only it was just for the Anzac meet. They had uh, I don't know, ten years ago or something. He only flew it. At, they had to. They went and flew with the uh, New Zealand guys. They go once a year in February. Or it might be biannual. You know about that uh, with the Australian guys that flew and go over. Yeah. The, some, some is it a jet event in in is it a jet event in New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. It's a fair from, yeah, so um, I've read about uh, it as well. Yeah, it's a, it's about a five hour drive from um, the main city. What's the main city on the North Island? Auckland. 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 Yeah, apparently. Anyway, I bought that and I thought, oh, I'm going to break this Falcon 120. So I sold that on and I kept the turbine. I've still got it. It's an early. Uh, it's it's a. It's got a fairly modern ECU in it, but it's it's a, it's got all the wiring. It's not like the new yeah. ones, but I'll put it in something one day. But yeah, I ended up buying a went to Wang Jets last year for the first time since 2015, and oh, no, I knew I was going to buy a jet. <laughs> I just knew. <laughs> so I bought an Excalibur, something more my style. You know, you know, it's it's just it's all, all I need. I had a lot of enjoyment out of the foremost, and this is the same, same type of thing. Very easy to fly, and got a bit of speed about them, and uh, um, and good to land. Yeah, so mm. well, that is true. They are good. I didn't. I really did not know that you were that involved in jets, but um, but you are a warbird guy, and uh, fingers crossed. We're recording this before the Bensdale Warbirds event, and fingers crossed that it's going to be on. And it's not going to be cancelled due to the weather, but. It's looking positive. I was talking to Tony Wilson, the secretary today, and he reckons that uh, it's going to be on. So we're actually this will be aired after the fact. So you know, let's just talk about. Let's pretend that the Warbirds event has run. What did you fly? <laughs> what will you be flying at that event? Oh, the Petty Second, the fifty cc Petty Second, and the the old uh, um, uh, the old. Uh, what is Spitfire. greyness Mustang? Spitfire. Yeah, they're okay. the two models. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that, is that a Phoenix model, that that big Mustang, or is it a Hangar yeah. 9? No, it's Phoenix. It's a Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've, 
that's that's grandpa's axe. It's three uh, twenty handles and three heads. <laughs> that's still yeah. original. <laughs> the last time I went to a sort of a warbird event um, down at uh, Bensdale, I witnessed a lot of warbirds being plonked in on takeoff or landing. Is that a common thing? Like I literally counted five different warbirds. I generally Spitfires or Mustangs. What's the problem with them when it comes to taking off and landing? There's 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 two rules to it. You must get the speed up. They're heavy. They're nearly all heavy. Um, In the case of my Spitfire, for some reason it came in very light. It's a very early version of a scale model. So even though the wings are quite scale, it's got a very thin cord wing, but you know it's just it's just a light aeroplane and. It, you can it can take it off on a short distance, but with your big petrol ones, um, they're heavy. They're over ten kilo. Um, you know you, you can't. They, they say you can build a fifty cc warbird under ten kilo, but you, I don't think you can. Um, you know, the, 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 according to the manufacturer, you see the box oh, eight eight point five to nine kilos. Yeah, you they're always a bit you, generous. You've got to put a kilo of lead in the nose. You know, like you, you can't do it. So. They've got a lot of weight in the nose, and therefore they've got they've got a problem with the incidence, I think. So you must get lots of speed up, and to get them flight tracking straight, you've got to sort of play with a rudder. You're using your rudder a lot. You're, you're getting wash prop wash over your rudder to keep the the thin tracking straight, and. Oh, I don't consider myself that good a flyer, but I've, I've had that many tail dragger takeoffs of model, heavy models over the years that I, I seem to unknowingly be playing around a lot with the rudder. Once the tail's up, if the if you've got to get that tail happily flying and then and keep it really straight and get lots of speed up before you pull the elevators, and you must you only you don't have much elevator on them. You throw on your elevators only about ten mil. Um, yeah, they don't have. They respond very. They're very sensitive to the elevators for some reason. Well, they all are, but um, you can have a little bit. This with the aerobatic planes, it doesn't matter if they take off early. They're, yeah, they're very very uh, forgiving. Very forgiving. Yeah, uh, with the landings, um, you just have to come in under a certain amount of power. You need them, but you, 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 if you land them before they before they stop flying, they can bounce or nose over. Um, so if you if you put it down before, this is my experience. If you put it down while it's still flying, you're running out of runway and just sort of, I'm just going to dump it on the ground. Um, it's you sort of have to feed in a little bit of down elevator, but then it might nose in. But if you bring it up elevator, it bounce, it wants to fly off again and then it starts bouncing and your brake drops off and it gets messy. So um, it's just hard. They, the, if you set them up well for land, if you, if, it's about confidence, I think, landing them. I know I, I tend to lack confidence. I'm sort of glad to get them down. Um in a way, but uh, when I'm feeling confident, it all comes together. Yeah. So you just got to get that um, approach right. And a lot often, if you come in shallow, just like the, when you see the 
footage of real warbirds uh, on YouTube and stuff, often they just bring them in, and this is how they used to land them on the carriers, just so they could see the deck. You bring you, you bank them in really short, close into the runway, and that washes off the speed, and it just seems to settle, and they seem to land be easier to get the landing speed right rather than having that long, slow, low-level approach. You have to have a fair bit of throttle on with that low approach because they're just heavy. And But they're funny things in my experience is whenever you – they get mushy when you back off the power, but sometimes when you bring them into land, they seem to get a cushion of air under the wings and they don't want to land. So yeah, you've got to love them, I think, to have the warbirds and the reef tracks break a lot. <laughs> yeah, see, I haven't, I've never really, I love Mustangs. I'm a big Mustang fan, but I've never owned one and, and there's not one on my horizon kind of thing. But, uh, you know, hopefully the Benzel event goes well. Uh, I will report on it Um in the intro, so we're talking before the fact, but uh, it's going to be good to see a bunch of bunch of warbirds there at that event. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so speaking of events, I know you enjoy going to an event. You're a very social person. Uh, you know, you like having a chat and you like catching up with people and seeing a group of people together. And you're always lending a helping hand at some of these events as well, especially the ones down in Gippsland Way. What are some of the events that you enjoy going to? Oh, the weekend, Andrew, the camping the ones where we camp overnight. I love it. I hang out for it. Um, and just, just fly-ins, scale scale events and fly-ins. Um, and I'd even go to the VJAA meets if I had time, but I haven't. I haven't got time. I, but I'm making it up to the last two years. Actually, the last two years I've been to Wang Jets, the main one, in a market. I'm never going to miss that again. I just love that weekend and the camaraderie and just uh, everyone just has a great time and the night time, the nightlife's fun. Um, well, I think yeah. that's what makes it. I think it was the after-hour activities and having dinner together and then having a few drinks and that kind of thing together because I think yeah. it's also one of those things where we're all away from home and, look, it's it's 99.9% male and so it was a bunch of blokes that have they were away from their family, just having a weekend away with other like-minded people, friends of theirs in the hobby and that kind of stuff. And we don't have to drive anywhere. We stay within Wangaratta. So it's, everything's within walking distance. So you can go out, you're going to have a few drinks together, whatever. And to me, that was that was the big one. The flying was like icing on the cake, but the, the cake was just the socialising aspect of it, which I think is really, really important. And, and that enjoyment of just, okay, let's just have a weekend away with the boys and 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 enjoy our model planes and have a meal and a drink after it. It's just, it is a special event, I think. Yeah, I, I've really grown only in the last few years. I, I love fly-ins. I've been to a few European darks and um, Shepherd and Mammoth I've been to every third one or something over the years. Um, but and I love it. I, but uh, but I can't get to as many now because the girls are all. I got four teenage daughters now, and they're oh. big in sports. And we've actually got jobs at the night time. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how you do it with four teenage girls. I've got one, and I'm struggling. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a – they're pretty good. It's a bit of a juggling act. Um, we had uh, a few activities coming up this weekend. We've had to do a bit of balancing because uh, the Warbirds over Bensdale was postponed. Um, but yeah. we've got everything under control because I'm really hanging out to this event because I um, – I've never been able to get over to the Warrnambool one at the Anzac weekend. It's too far yeah, to go. It's a long way. Um, because of my other commitments and uh, weekend commitments and things, I thought, oh, no, I can't make that distance. And um, I've been wanting, and when they were going, when they, they had one, one in July at the at the um, Shepparton Field and um, – and I had to have my heart operation that year, and I wasn't able to attend it. And um, they had the weather was a bit ordinary, and they didn't have a they had a few turn up, but uh, yeah, because Southern Queensland and Northern New South Wales, between all the clubs, have something like twelve or fourteen warbirds meetings per year. I was absolutely given um, uh, Russell Mitchell. Primero scale sent me the calendar for this year's events, and I counted something like twelve or fourteen. Yeah, um, the right. team Bay ones, their premier one, um, and we'd love to go up there and do a couple. You know, a few of us really talk about it around the fire rings at the club meetings with a few drinks of a night, and we, we're all going to get organised to go up there and do a couple of those. You know, stay up there for a month when we can. We'd like to do that but we're, we're really pleased to get one going again and I always wanted to get to the Wagga Wagga one uh, no, but I never was able to get there and the Bensdale Club have always been strong supporters of that event and hopefully we may support them. They're going to run it again. I heard on one of your podcasts recently that they are talking of running the event again next year. Yeah, next year they, they really want to rebuild it after COVID and yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah. And I, yeah. I reached out to them and said, look, yell out and I'll support it. But question for you about the Gippsland and the aero modelling scene out in Gippsland way for anybody that's listening overseas, because we do have international listeners as well. Gippsland is a region of the state of Victoria down here in the southeastern corner of Australia and uh, a big farming area, a lot of dairy farms out that way due to the rainfall generally. But uh there's a really vibrant aero modelling scene there and some really great clubs. And, uh, you know, am I correct in saying that, that it's a really vibrant scene out in Gippsland Way? Yes. It's, it's about nine clubs in this southeastern Victoria or Gippsland area, which starts at uh, Narry Warren sort of onwards, goes right down to the Phillip Island, right through to well, the last Club East is the Bensdale Club, which we've got the state field there now, beautiful field, of course. And But there's about nine clubs, and we all have contact with each other and we all fly off, we all visit each other occasionally. The fly-ins have dropped off because of COVID. Um, we, we were lucky at Bensdale. We managed to keep our fly-ins going. We're up to about four a year now, and that's that we have the everyone coming in and camping, um, and then we have other things like uh, come and try days and stuff. And uh, 
Um, but, but we will all get going. The other clubs hopefully will get their flyings up and running again. Um, but they patronise the Bensdale flyings anyway. They all come along. That's the um, thing. It's it's like when you go to a, a Venice Sale or a Bensdale, you're getting all the other club members from the region coming there as well, and you support each other's events. Yes, which is always good yes. to see. Like here here in yeah. Melbourne, like. It, Packer might run an event. You might get a few few ring-ins kind of thing that will come from across town, but it's not a, such a big a deal as if, you know, it's that we see in the country clubs, you know. And and most of us in Melbourne, if we want to go to an event, we're generally getting out, out of town anyway, whether it's a, a jet event or, a you know, like the Bansdale event or the Shepherd and Mammoth flying or Albury uh, float flying and stuff like that. But to me, I love getting out of Melbourne and going to country clubs. I, I think they are the greatest place to fly is out in the country. It's, the people are always nice. They're always welcoming. There's plenty of space. You know, it's just you're out in the open. That's, that's, the, that's the best part, Andrew. You're out, you're out in the opening, open, and you can um, you can make as much noise as you like. <laughs> that's true. It's both fun. Yeah. Both while flying and not flying, we can make a lot of noise. But yeah, uh, yeah you can. We're, nah, we're, so we're, I make a lot of noise when I'm not flying. So, oh no, you don't. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen you. I've seen you before the alcohol and after the alcohol, and you're not that noisy. And uh, you know, but we'll see. But anyway, look. As I said, I've probably done a bit of an, a recap of the Bensdale. If the Bensdale event runs, which I think it will. Uh, I would have done a recap at the start of this podcast anyway, so everybody knows what, what happened at the event by, by now. Okay, let's move on. What's your dream model? Sandringham. Lifelong dream. A Sandringham. Really? Sunderland. The Sunderland flying boat. Oh, Sunderland. What do you say Sandringham? Well, that was the... Um, Civil version. They converted them. They refitted them after the war. They built about seven hundred or seven hundred and fifty of them, oh. and uh, we got the rest. Got only. I think we got had about four or something to throw them over to New Guinea, and they're fantastic. And that's a big, um, that's a big they were, plane. They were called the. I won't give you much history on it. We haven't got time, but and I, I'm just uh, I'm a bit clouded on it. The map. Uh, the names of the brothers that built them, and they actually they had the Empire flying boat first, and that was the the purpose of that was they had funding for that from the Commonwealth to uh, they wanted to, a faster mail service in the nineteen oh. thirties, and it was successful. So the Sunderland was just an upgraded version of that, and it's a major thing to build and. Um, I'd love to chew on Tim Nolan's ear one day about it, but he's a busy man and I'm not going to be kicking his tyres at this stage about building it. But I have No, got he, a, would, he would love to talk to you about I this kind of stuff. I will talk to him one day. I know. I was, he did, I, Shepparton was, he was at Shepparton and he yes. got the model of the meat too with his yeah, big score. I will talk to him one day. There is moulds floating around and Ross... Uh, Ross Bathy, Bathy might have one. All about it, and Bathy knows all about it. And anyway, and Tim knows about these molds. And but it's a complicated build. It'd be beyond me. But I will tell you the concept I have. Um, I got the Tony Nighouse plan, which is mm. a simple plan to go off, and it's only a six foot um, for electric. And I I blew it up and mirrored the plan 
after a bit of research, and I mirrored the plan for um, a 99-inch, which was about 18 scale or something, and I ended up and I, and I know how to do it, but I ended up giving that plan to somebody else, and I will blow it up a bit bigger because I've got FA four FA 56s I've collected over a few years. Little Sados, I don't fly Sado, but um, I come across two that were like new and then ended up buying another couple and I'm going to buy a couple more because some of them's always needed spare engines. Anything with radials always needed spare engines. <laughs> but uh, it's just that they don't make the FA-56s anymore, but I think Sado still have parts available. But anyway, that's just the first stage of it. But my my method would be to blow it up to about 115 inch. Um, I don't want to go too big, just so as I can get those engines fitting the cows better. And I would, uh, I mirrored the plan, and uh, there's um, Pro Draft in Mall did all the plans, blew up the plans and mirrored them for practically nothing, just the cost of the paper. And there's only about 11 bulkheads in the in the build. And it just has the saddle sitting in the wings. Just sits in a saddle that I would have, obviously have to make it a three piece. But that wouldn't be too bad. The hardest part about it is um, the nacelles. The engine nacelles have got to be uh, not changed, just beefed up a bit more to handle uh, the uh, glow engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I ever get to it, which I probably won't, if I ever get to it. I'd probably use small petrols in it anyway. Uh, the the purpose of the the Sados, the the four strokes was the set combination of sound and the smoke trail. You know the, the little smoke yeah, trail yeah. blow That'd engines. Be cool. yeah. Having those small or and I've got a beautiful place to fly at Lake Glen Maggie. There's a sheltered part of it, Sandy Point. There's always a Sandy Point in every lake, and um, I'd fly it up there just occasionally, and and I'd just um, but it just, uh, it's a quite an easy build, and I'll just sheet it all with it. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a scale model. It just looks scale. So. Would you do the ANSET scheme? Yeah, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, speech comb, the beach coma one. Yeah. I've got beach coma on it. Yeah, the yes. beach coma. Yeah, the That's ANSET. The yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm looking. I'm looking at it because these, um, yeah, they're 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 a funny plane. They're a big plane. Yes. Imagine flying in one of those. Well, I I, I think I, because I built it in two halves. You just build it straight off the plan in two halves. So you get the keel when you get. It'll be all laser cut. Get get yeah. it all laser cut. I wouldn't be cutting any of it out. I've got to do with sanding and fitting, but. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be cutting it out. It'd take me ten years. Uh, That's so, right. yeah. It, I, you, all you do is you just things like the keel. You just you have it in two. Care to cut in two pieces? And when you built your two sides of your hull, yeah, when you glue it, you just glue it together. The, the keel together is a, is a one piece from two. Um, and then I just sheet it and glass it. I wouldn't bother about a lot of detail. Um, it's just a, a something that looks like a Sunderland, but um, that'd be good. Oh, I'd love to have one. I watch the videos all the time of the last flights of it. Well, and, um, get, look, 
when are you going to, are you ever going to retire? Are you going to be one of those farmers that just keeps on going? The big question, Andrew, when I was 50, I said, I'm going to retire at 70. Mm. And when I turned 60, I made another commitment. I'm going to retire at 80. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever be able to retire. Um, you, You have this guilt towards the farm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I still yeah. Have farm land myself, um, but my brother owns all the cattle. I just work for him at this stage, but yeah. I'm still I've become part of it again. Yeah, I know. It's it's in your blood, though, isn't it? I bet your dad yeah. worked uh, worked to an old age. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm hoping to be able to build something like the Sandringham, though, uh, down the track. Uh, and, and I'll talk to him about it. Um, but it's some, that's 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 the, my real. And I think I'd get the confidence to fly because you'd be always flying it over water. So um, you know, if you had engines out or whatever, you just put it down. Just make sure you've got a boat to go and get it. That's that's, that's the only true. thing. We'll have to get Tony Wilson to come be out. always flying it over water. And, and and when the time comes, if I do build it, I will. Um, uh, I might have a more reliable power source for it, but definitely not electric. I wouldn't go electric with a model like that. It's no, got to have the it's sound. It's got to have the noise. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, but I, I used to, um, when I was a kid, I used to look at pictorials. I wasn't much of a school student, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I used to get those pictorials uh, magazines from somewhere in the 60s and I think mum bought them, dad never read. Um, and uh, I used to just look at the flying boats in the pictorial, those big pictorial magazines, and they had pictures of flying boats. I just just to stare at them. I just loved them. It's yeah. funny. It's funny like that. That uh, it just shows you that not everybody will ever become an aero model. That we aero modelers just fall in love with looking at those things, and and then just it's like a magnet that we're you know we're drawn to it and can't can't get it out you know because i think we've all got a similar story you know in, in especially in our younger years of you know like i didn't own a model airplane for for years and years and years but i used to get airborne magazine and read it and you know go into a news agent i say to my mum, can i get this you say yeah okay and i'd read this these magazines and i just fell in love and the aeroflight catalog oh that was just phenomenal. I wore that out looking at it. Um, but, you know, just flicking the pages whilst you sitting in your bed going, oh, look at that. And, um, you know, photos are really good. And you imagine if you had one, you could fly it and what it'd be like and all that. So I think, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing that passion we get just from from looking at something in it. And we can't shake it, you know. And there's other people that, there's people that get into cars and things like that that have the same. You know, my, my older brother's into guitars. And yeah. you know, I play guitar, but he's you know we we started playing on the same day, had lessons together. But he he has really taken to collecting guitars, and you know I go up and see him up in Sydney, and and he'll show me some guitar video. I say you should get one of those guitars, and he says I already got one. And he's got thirty five guitars or something, and it's just it's just crazy. But uh, that's his thing. But um, no, nah, we're a crazy bunch. Now speaking of a yeah. crazy bunch, um, we're up to the final question. And that question is a question that everybody always looks forward to hearing the answer to. I must say that many people struggle to answer it and sometimes create their own categories. And anybody who's a long-time listener to the podcast knows what I'm talking about. 
And that question is, what has been your all-time favourite model that you've owned? It's a big Phoenix Petty Second that I'm flying now. The, it's the 85.7, I know exactly what it is, the 85.75-inch, and it's got a DLE 55RA in it, and I just absolutely love it. I just love the model. It's a heap of crap. It's flimsy, but I just love it. I strengthen them up, and I crash them and rebuild them, and I've been buying them up around the state, so any listeners, anyone's got one sitting in the back of their shed, they're a cheap kit, yeah. and um, and you've got to put screws into the retract blocks or they pull out, and there's all sorts of tricks you've got to get up to to keep them in the air, but um, it's just my all-time favourite model. And um, I just rebuilt it again. I lost it. I had a aileron. I thought it was a loose propeller, which I had the flight before, but I lost it at the action event at Bensdale in March, and... Anyway, it's it's ready to go again. So um, it was supposed to be certified yesterday, which was Sunday, and um, I forgot the canopy and cockpit. That is just that's Andy Coleman. This Wednesday the, coming, I'll do the certification, finish the certification flight, and uh, hopefully I'll have lots of fun with it at the Warbirds weekend. Well, I know yeah. you love that plane. That, yeah. that you, you, you've told me before that you love that plane. I've taken some really good photos of that plane as well. You had the, got a good a lot of fun. Remember, I had the smoke on it. Yes, the, that was great. The smoke was at the back. Fly, Shepherd and Clubber got it on their website at the smoke. Yeah, the last fuselage or second last fuselage got all fuel soaked from smoke oil through. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 <laughs> so always I a problem. I haven't bothered with the smoke on it now. Um, I, I might put it back on again. It's a lot of, it's just no room. There's no room yeah, to fit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It adds weight. It's hard to find to put them in that, in that kind of yeah, plane. You know, yeah. It's a bit different if you've got a big aerobatic plane, 100cc, where you've got plenty of space. And I've got one in one of my planes. I've never, never, it's plumbed up. I've never used it. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is a nice plane. And I, I do like those Mustangs personally. Um, yeah, you know, I've got I've got a great book on Mustangs. It's it's just a phenomenal book. It it has all the different schemes for Mustangs, and it's but it's it's printed in a special way. That's almost like metallic, and it's just okay. unbelievable. I can't get, I'd never get rid of that book. Uh, it's just a beautiful book. But um, but yeah. So and again, I got that when I was a child, and I uh, I um, it just brought back a memory that I did actually used to get by plane books when I was younger and loved looking at the planes and stuff. But, um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Well, as I said, listen to the intro to see whether I saw Andy Coleman fly his Mustang. Well, Andy, look, it's, it's been a pleasure to get to hear your story. Um, and uh, it it's entertaining. I always say that a lot of people that I invite to come on the podcast say to me, oh, why do you want to talk to me? I think you may have done that. You said, oh, I haven't got I'm I'm a nobody. But everybody's got a story. And you've told us yeah. your story and I appreciate it. And uh I hope. Thank you for talking to me at Bensdale. That's what we'll. we'll, we'll it's, this is a, after the fact. Thank you. And we'll look. Uh, and we're we're looking after you at Bensdale. Well, we looked after you at Bensdale really well, Andrew. That is right. You did look after me. It was a great. It was a great weekend. Um, we we drank plenty, or you did yep. at least. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, I hope that you fix the warbird. Yeah. Yep. And. Um, <laughs> 
crystal ball we're, gazing. We're looking panel. forward to the next fly-in. I'm looking forward to the next fly-in, which will probably be after uh, probably early next year now. That's but, right. Um, there was something to look forward to. I love the club flying, but the the fly-ins, and I'd love to go to all of them around the state and even interstate, but I don't have the time. But yep. maybe one day I'll be able to get to um, – I just find we're all a family. Uh, and Emily, I find, era modellers, um, it's a bit different. I've been in a lot of different sporting clubs over the years, but this is different. It's just um, – some people are quiet, but you go up to them and you just end up just they they're glad you had a chat to them, you know. It's um because we've got so much in common. We all we all have our problems with our models. Yeah. Some people wonder why we do it. We have so many problems with them, but uh, <laughs> we just do it. <laughs> well, that's what keeps us <laughs> occupied. Well, yeah. Andy Coleman, big big thank you for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. And thank you, Andrew. About to leave. Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you for joining me once again. And a big thank you to Andy Coleman for spending the time. He was a bit nervous, he said, to come on, but you can tell that he really settled in quite well. And it was always good to have a chat with my mate Andy. What a good bloke he is. Uh, don't forget, get onto the YouTube channel, Flat Out RC YouTube channel, and take a look at the Bandstyle, Warbird Over Bandstyle video so you can see what's going on there. A few different interviews with different people and uh, and some of the sights uh, from you know, the planes that were there and a bit of flying action as well. It's a nightmare filming model airplanes, people. When you see these flying videos, just understand, you know, if you want to, if you want to help the photographer fly closer in, don't fly at 300 feet. But we can't always do that. But anyway... Hope you're doing well and enjoying the hobby and getting out there and doing what you love to do best, whether that be building or flying. I should be back next week. No, I am going to be back next week because I would have recorded an interview for next week and another another local legend. So uh, there is more coming. And a big thank you to all those that are sending me emails with suggestions for guests. I'm going to work my way through those lists. So it may not happen straight away, but it will happen, as they say. Anyway, all the best. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And tell your friends. Get involved with the flat out RC movement. We're on the run. This is what we waited for.